What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. I wanted my life to mean something. It does feel really personal for me and it feels spiritual in a way. I don't want all of that sacrifice that they've made to be for nothing. And I want to use all the opportunity and privilege I've been given to kind of leapfrog what's been possible for my family in the past. You're listening to What I Know. I'm Christine Ligorio Chafkin. Today's episode, a spiritual mission to change how work happens. Welcome to the second episode of our short series on companies that made the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America. This week, I'm speaking with a founder who was inspired by her own family and her own struggles parenting while working 60-hour weeks as an advertising executive to change the very fabric of the workplace and how we work, and who can work where, when, and how. It's a really inspiring story, and I'll let Stephanie Natty Olson, the founder of We Are Rosie, tell it. I went to Georgia Tech here in Atlanta and landed this amazing job at Microsoft right out of college. At the time, they were launching their first college hire program, and they were bringing people directly out of college into their ad sales division. I was the youngest person in my seat at Microsoft. I was the very first person they hired for this college hire program, and I had this really great opportunity to get to shape the program for them and to help this as a 22-year-old, help this global organization reconsider the way that they are attracting talent that might look different from the people who are in their organization today. I started to get the startup itch. I started to be really attracted to agile organizations that were mission-driven and could get amazing things done with this really tight group of people galvanized around a mission. I loved the pace. I loved the people I got to meet. I loved, as a salesperson, being responsible for my own destiny to a certain extent because so much of my compensation was variable and performance-based. I loved it all. But really, after the birth of my second daughter, I started to reconsider what I wanted my life to represent. I mean, it was a bit existential for me. And I thought, gosh, I just really want to make a mark on the world. I want to be able to say, I've left this place better than I found it. And for me, I just, I didn't feel that way selling advertising solutions. So I looked around, I quit my job, which was crazy. I, I was the first time I was unemployed since I was 14. <laughs> And I had two babies at home and I was the breadwinner for my family. So talk about an existential moment. (laughs) But I really just started to look around and think, what are the gaps that I see based on all of my experience? And the thing that was so obvious to me in that moment was that we needed to change the way work happened, right? We needed to reconsider everything we've taken as gospel, right? A 40-hour work week. You need to live in New York City if you want to work in advertising. You have to be ready to travel all the time. You have to pretend you don't have a family. All of these things that were just kind of part of the tax you had to pay to participate in this industry, I thought that they were ridiculous. And I thought, maybe there's a better way. What was so interesting to me about your story is that 
it, it was also so personal that for some people, it would be not even obvious, just a blind spot because you had felt all of those things. Uh, personally, you were working in New York while trying to breastfeed a child at home far from New York. It's so true. I mean, I worked 60 hour weeks my entire career and it's just unsustainable, right? When you are a caregiver for your children or your parents or anybody else, I felt marginalized by the way work happened. And I recognized all the privilege I had to be able to quit my job because most people can't do that. And that was such an eye-opening moment for me. You know, if it was such a huge decision for me to just step out of the traditional workforce, even amidst all of my privilege, right? I'm making plenty of money. I didn't have to worry about things that a lot of people have to worry about, but it still felt so heavy for me and scary. I really started to think about what this means for other people who are maybe discriminated against at work or are mistreated or can't tend to their own medical needs because they have to be in an office every day and on and on. And that was really what prompted me to think, how do we create a better system of work for all of these people in a way that they can have dignity, they can still have a career, and they can do work that really lights them up? And that was the birth of We Are Rosie. This was before 2020, before we all started to think really hard and deeply about what works for various workers in a workplace and how that looks a lot different than the traditional sort of 1950s prototypical office building and office structure, right? What year was this roughly? And what did actually sort of starting to build the company look like? This was the very beginning of 2018. We were a little bit ahead of COVID and kind of this great awakening and reconsideration that we've all been in for the last couple of years. And building it was crazy. So I've worked at startups. I've never built a startup before. I've certainly got entrepreneurial instincts. You know, I, I think I've inherited a lot of that from my parents. My dad immigrated to the States without even a high school education and built a life for us and raised three college-educated children. And I think there's a lot of similarities in the immigrant story and the entrepreneurship story. Felt like I kind of had it in my blood. But when I set out to build the business, it's hard to know where to start. And I remember one of the early days, I was just trying to get set up as an LLC in the state of Georgia. I live in Atlanta. I was like, I cannot navigate this Secretary of State website. I came home and my I was like just in tears. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't even make an LLC. There's no way I can do this. I should just go get a job. Who do I think I am? And I'll never forget my husband looked at me and he was like, absolutely not. You have wanted to build a business. I know you can do it. Get after it. And it was the kick in the butt and the belief that I needed to get going. And there were a lot of moments like that. There were a lot of moments of like, I don't know, I have to set up a bank account. I mean, the very practicalities of like getting a business going was was difficult for me. I, I was like Googling it like everybody else. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't have lawyers yet or a CFO, all those things. <laughs> and you self-funded at first, right? Yeah. When I decided to start We Are Rosie, my husband and I sat down. We're very practical people <laughs> with these two kids at home. And I said, okay, you know, I don't do anything half-ass. So this is going to be a big endeavor for me. This is not a part-time job. This is not a lifestyle business. This is my sole work. I feel so drawn to this mission can we do this? Can we commit to this as a family? Because my family are stakeholders too. They have been from the jump. We sat down and my husband said, I'll take the lead on everything for the kids. I'll do the doctors. I'll do the dentists. I'll be the teacher's point of contact. And let's put $10,000 against this dream out of our savings. And let's see what you can make happen in six months, Steph. I wanted that kind of timeline. 
you know, I'm a competitor. It's a good benchmark for me. And that was it. So I had $10,000 and six months to figure it out. And I was off to the races. When we were starting this conversation, you mentioned that you you felt it very deeply, this the desire to create something kind of bigger than yourself that leaves the world a better place. You've mentioned to me previously that you wanted to create a legacy for yourself and your daughters. Now, I feel like that is not an uncommon drive of entrepreneurs, but it's not one often well discussed. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think a lot of people can relate to this. I've really started to appreciate my roots, right? And I really started to appreciate the sacrifice that my parents made, right? My dad grew up in a refugee camp and came to the States, couldn't even read or write English, but was determined to build a life here. And my mom never had the opportunity to go to college either, but worked really hard and was the breadwinner for our family with her three children that she had at a young age. I realized all the privilege I have and that I stand on the shoulders of not just my parents, but my grandparents. My grandmother died in a refugee camp surrounded by four young children. I wouldn't be here with all of this opportunity if it weren't for everything that these people went through. And I wanted my life to mean something, you know, and it felt so personal for me and it feels spiritual in a way. I don't want all of that sacrifice that they've made to be for nothing. And I want to use all the opportunity and privilege I've been given to kind of leapfrog what's been possible for my family in the past. It's deeply personal for me. Yes, of course. I mean, the company's named after my youngest daughter. So there's this component of my desire to honor the people that came before me but also to leave a legacy for my kids because I don't ever want my daughters to be trapped in a job where they're mistreated or they have to sacrifice themselves or their family to participate in the workforce. And if we do our jobs right at We Are Rosie, they won't have to because we'll normalize these flexible careers. That's incredible. And what's also incredible is that five years into the business, you have made the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in the United States. You have more than 60 employees and you've touched more than 10,000. Was it more than 15,000? Yeah, 17,000. Yeah, careers and lives. Tell me about the state of the business now and what it's done, what it's accomplished. Oh my gosh. It's the coolest thing, honestly. We'll be five at the beginning of 2023. So we're not quite five yet. It's been a whirlwind. We're definitely one of those businesses. I, I think I'll look back over a martini 50 years from now and say, we nailed it across the board. We nailed it with our team. We nailed it with the mission. We nailed it with the timing. We were fortunate in a lot of ways, but man, we've had some people that have worked really hard. It's really incredible to see where the company is now and where we're headed. So when we started We Are Rosie, because we were building a new category, this flexible career platform for independent marketers and this flexible talent platform for brand marketers that needed help getting work done, we had to normalize what we were. We probably spent the first two and a half years, more than half of our existence, just explaining to people and educating people on what we are and what we're about, because we're not a staffing platform. We're a community. We really care about the people that are signing up to be freelancers on the We Are Rosie platform. We do huge projects for brands. We don't just do gig work, right? We're saying, here's 10 people to launch a new product for one of the biggest spirit companies in the world. 
And so we normalize that. We have earned the right now to be a part of this strategic planning for chief marketing officers, right? You know, the first two years, it was like, this is interesting. I think I'll give it a try. And we knocked it out of the park consistently. And honestly, it's it's a testament to the work of our team at We Are Rosie. It's also a huge testament to these 17,000 freelance marketers on our platform. Because when our clients gave them a chance, they knocked it out of the park every time. We're at this brilliant place where we work with 25 Fortune 500 brands. It's like a dream for any B2B company. And now our clients are coming to us and saying, how do we give you guys eight figures next year, right? How do we spend more money with you? Because we love your model. It brings diversity into our organization. It makes us more agile. It makes us more innovative. We're sitting back and feeling like we created the category. We did it. And now we just have to create more opportunity for these brilliant folks on our platform. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know some of the biggest tech companies work with you. Is the typical model that a company will say, I need I need a team of five to 10 individuals for a two-year contract to do our social media or something? Is that, is that kind of right? Am I, yeah, something like that? Yeah, it could be that, right? So sometimes our clients will come to us and say, we need a interim VP of marketing or even a CMO mm-hmm. for a six-month stint while we hire full-time or while we make sure we've got this job spec right. You know, we want to make sure we're really thoughtful before we make the hire. That might be an individual talent project with just a single Rosie going into that role. And then we're having increasingly more and more. And as you mentioned, these big tech companies are coming to us and saying, hey, can you just handle with Rosie's this entire project for us? And it's end-to-end kind of strategy and execution of a marketing campaign or a huge event or a new product launch. And those could be teams of 10 or 12 or 20 Rosie's at a time which is so cool for the talent because they get that camaraderie. They get like all the benefits of the good parts about full-time employment, like being a part of a team and like having people to talk to, but they also get these boundaries of a 40-hour work week. Mm. You get to work remote forever and you get to build your career in a really flexible way. If you decide after this project, you need a three-month break, that's fine with us. Yeah. So you do still cap work at 40 hours a week. Do you enforce that? Like, how does that work? Or is it is it more of a communications with the companies sort of sort of thing? We have the best way to enforce this because <laughs> legally, <laughs> when you're working freelance, you have to be paid overtime mm. for more than 40 hours. And clients typically don't want to pay overtime. <laughs> there have been instances, right? We worked on the Biden campaign. That was obviously a sprint at the end, but everybody who signed up for that understood there's going to be overtime involved. Of course, you'll be compensated. That's just kind of the name of the game in political campaigns. Typically, you know, by and large, our Rosies don't work more than 40 hours a week. That's great. You mentioned diversity, and I know that you've always been striving to build an inclusive community, but let me just read you a line from your website that I really liked. We work directly with our clients to set talent diversity goals, which cough, cough, we usually exceed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that. The composition of both your your staff and the Rosie community is more diverse than the industry in general. Yeah, by far. 40% of Rosie's booked on projects in 2021 identify as BIPOC. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's great. And what about your internal team? It's also over 40% self-identified people of color. It's one of the things that's so beautiful about building this model, because I don't think that many people have internalized that remote 
remote work is inclusion. Flex work is inclusion. By laying a foundation and saying anyone who wants to work here has to live in New York City and they have to come into the office every day, what does that mean for people with disabilities? What does that mean for veterans with PTSD? What does that mean for people with mental health challenges that have a hard time being in a crowded environment? What does it mean for caregivers? We kind of take these things as gospel, like, oh, that's just the thing to do. But we don't really realize how many people we're excluding when we put these kind of false barriers in front of them. And for these groups to try to participate in the workforce, it's just that much harder for them to succeed, right? Because the way work happens foundationally is exclusive. One of the beautiful byproducts of building this model and saying, hey, come onto our platform, share with us how you want to work. We actually have a whole section in our kind of onboarding form for new Rosies. How do you want to play is what we ask them. How do you want to work? How do you want to play? Is it full-time forever? Is it full-time but summer's off with your kids? Is it 20 hours a week forever? Is it six months on, six months off? We're letting people tell us, and then we're matching the work to their preferences. And it's a huge part of the reason we have such a diverse community, but also a huge part of the reason why our Rosies rock the work they're doing, because we actually looked at them as a whole human being before we assigned them to a project. When we come back... I'll talk with Stephanie about the unique solution she proposed when her own staff started to get burned out. But first, a quick break. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. When you're going through this period of fast growth, though, it's not always all sunny or rosy. That's or right. During our first interview, you you mentioned that you didn't personally take a paycheck for the first two years, and you were obviously working really hard. But so was your team. That was that was really new too. Can you tell me about any challenges that you faced, or or maybe what was the biggest challenge that you faced in that sort of growth, uh, the growth first four years of the company, and in sort of just managing the team. And growing yourself there. We had really good problems to have, but they were problems nonetheless, right? And when you're when you have a company with this much success this quickly and coupled with a mission that people feel so personally connected to, there's a lot of people that will work really really hard. I certainly fell victim to this, right? Where you think, "Oh, I just care so much. Like I've got purpose. I will give it everything I've got." It's not sustainable, right? No matter what your reason is for doing something, right? We're not robots. We realized particularly when COVID started and people had all these kind of macro factors that were impacting their mental health, right? People were scared. It was also the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the civil rights movement and all of these things that were so important to all of us, but also could feel so heavy and weigh on us, the team was burned out. We were working so hard and the company demanded so much because of the growth. And we're thinking for every extra hour I work, we get to change more people's lives. It's easy to fall into that, gosh, we're working too much mode. When COVID started, amongst everything else going on in the world at the time, I took a step back and thought, 
okay, what's going on here? And we had unlimited PTO. That was kind of a mental shortcut that I made when I started the company because all the tech companies I had worked at previously had unlimited PTO and that just seemed like the thing to do. It was not working for us, right? And it wasn't working because I never took time off and I was the CEO and we were only like 20 employees at the time. I was very visible in how how much I was working and how much the leadership team was working. We actually reconsidered our entire PTO policy. A mentor of mine always says, people will do what you pay them to do. And I thought, how can we pay people to not be burned out? We revamped our entire PTO policy at the beginning of 2021 to say, you have to take five days off per quarter or you're not eligible for your full bonus. So we were now requiring 20 days off a year plus additional floating holidays that people could use in order to access your full bonus. So we really put our money where our mouth was in that and it completely changed the company. Yeah. What what did you witness, even anecdotally, that, that shifted or changed? Teamwork went through the roof because we're a startup, right? And we were bootstrapped. People were like, I'll just keep all the information in my head because I don't have time to document it, which is not good for a startup, but is, you know, you do a lot of unscalable things in those early days. But that also meant that people felt like they couldn't take time off because if I'm not here, nobody else knows all this stuff that's in my head, so I can't ever leave. And I didn't realize that, right, until we changed the rules and people said, I can't take time off stuff. You're going to make me take five days, but I can't. There's not process documentation. There's not a handoff document for when I'm out of the office. So it forced us to get really buttoned up on our process, which was all things we needed to do to scale, right? But I didn't realize how much it was needed to care for our employees. So that was such a huge eye-opener for me. What advice would you have for other founders in evaluating what their team needs? You're an all-remote company. This could have to do with those communications that are necessary with maintaining a team that collaborates well and works well. Or it could have to do with just just look analyzing what your employees need and responding to that. I'm curious your thoughts on both, really. I think it's so important to make it kind of systemic, right? Like your leaders should be asking their team members what they need need every time they meet with them. They should be giving them feedback. They should be asking for feedback. We're really focused on this, right? As like a in the moment feedback loop always, right? Up, down, sideways so that we can move on the fly because sometimes, especially with a remote team, if you don't stay on top of that stuff, it can build resentment. It can hurt morale. It can make people sad, you know, where they don't, they don't need to be, right? So I think one of the most important things is just asking people what they need and know that you're not going to be able to give everybody everything they need. Sometimes I think that's why people don't ask is because they know that, well, if I ask and then I say, oh, sorry, we can't do that, then it's going to be worse. It's so much better to have the conversation about why you may not be able to accommodate every single need because, of course, as a leader, you've got to balance the needs of the entire organization with the needs of the individual. But having that conversation goes so far and will earn you so much respect and trust from your team. And I just constantly encourage people to have the tough conversation and don't be afraid of what you might hear. And you've got to ask people what they need. And you might start to see patterns, right? Where you might be like, oh, I didn't think we could do that. But God, I've heard this from six people now. We need to find a way. We need to start thinking creatively. That certainly happened with us as we were expanding our benefits over time for our team. We were like, okay, what do people want first? You know, do they want better medical coverage or do they want a 401k match? And we surveyed the team and 
overwhelmingly people wanted a 401k match. And so that told us where to focus next. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I've really loved the conversation, Christine. Stephanie, what stuck with me is that she's not constrained by the status quo. When demands of work weren't working for her, she built her own company to dismantle parts of the modern workplace that were marginalizing workers. While she designed her startup to be inclusive and supportive for her employees, a couple years in, burnout hit. She saw that change was needed again and designed new policies to help her employees take the time they needed. She recognizes that to really create change, there's not a single solution. Change requires continual work, and that's something we can all learn from. What I Know is a production of Inc. Magazine. I'd love it if you could subscribe or follow us wherever you are listening. It'll make sure you don't miss the next episodes of What I Know. Also, if you can spare a minute, please do leave us a review. You can let us know what you think about our shows by dropping me a note at whatiknowatinc.com or let me know on Twitter at Legorio. Our producer, who also feels very spiritual about podcasting, is Joshua Christensen. Our associate producer is Blake Odom and our editor is Nicholas Torres. I'm Christine Legorio-Chafkin. Thank you for listening to What I Know. What I Know.